Well, good morning and welcome to day seven of Start Strong 21. This is our last day where we're going to get together on here uh, with the sole purpose of getting you fired up uh, with as much momentum as we can in the first week of the year so that you go on to have your biggest year ever. And we've covered a whole bunch of ground up until this point, but there has been a recurring theme and that recurring theme is this. This year could be your best year ever by an absolute mile if you want it to be. But wanting it to be is not enough. You've then got to back it with action and uh, you know, break the business model and grow it out and take risks and move forward and work hard. And if you do those things and, and, uh, and stay at it, then of course you'll, you'll get to the end of the year and you will, have, you will have tried enough things that some work and those things that work will, will be your breakthrough. So that's where we're at. What are we going to do on this last session? We're actually going to do rapid fire Q&A. Uh, I've been teaching you my stuff. Now I want to help you with your stuff. All right. So literally, <clears throat> I want to give you a forum where you can ask a question. Literally, just in the question box is where you'll put your question and you can start doing it now. But I want, I kind of want to couch it by saying this, like ask a broad question, get a broad answer. Like, like the more specific you can be in your questioning, the more specific I can help you, right? So when you say, you know, how should I market a business? It's so broad that I'm, I'm forced to give you a broad answer that may or may not work. Uh, so the more specific your question can be, then the more I will be able to help you. I'm not going to labor on them. I'm literally just going to bang through as many as I can. So Go to the question box, like think of a question that I can help you with right now. Go to the question box, let's put it in there, and let's start getting through them. I've got them on my screen here. You type them, I'll answer them, and if I, <clears throat> if I don't understand your question, I'm just going to keep moving because of time. <clears throat> All right, I'm a performer for kids. It's very niche. I'm the face of it. How do I scale something that is bottlenecked by a name? Good question, Dan. My first thought is, you know, productize. There's not that you can only scale your hour so much, but you can scale your knowledge and your skill set infinitely. So productizing is the answer. If you're talking about like really wanting to stick to the performance side of things, then build um, build characters and others around you, right? So, for example, like if I was just to think about the Wiggles as an example, like if the Wiggles was one person and it was called the Wiggle, then then that would be really hard. But the Wiggles being a team of whatever they were, five, you know, they could be in two locations at one time, which gave them some leverage. So I'd put some team around you. And, uh, and then maybe, maybe your clients fall in love with the team as much as they do you. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, then you can be in two places at one time or, or get some leverage. But you're not gonna ha it's not going to happen if it's just you. Um, I'm not the owner, but I'm one of the directors. How much influence can I have in the business? Um, if you are... You should become an owner because then you'll have a huge amount of influence in the business. Um, you know, my thought is that 
Joseph was only the governor and he was the neck that turned the head of the entire country. So I think you can have an insane amount of influence in a business, even if you're not the owner, by being the director. Uh, I think it comes down to their respect for you, uh, your ability to lead, and your ability to be bold and just say what you want to say. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think you can influence an entire business as being a director, but it'll come down to the runs you've got on the board because that'll give you the credibility, and then it'll come down to your ability to just call things out and, and cast new vision. And if you can cast new vision and get everybody on the same page, then, then you should be able to influence that, that company really, really well. Should I give offering tithe from personal income versus business income? Awesome, that's a good question. Karen? Um, I think both is, is the answer. I think that giving as a concept uh, is, uh, is underrated. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like we should be looking for more reasons to give, not less. Uh, and so you should definitely be giving out of your personal income because that's you, uh, you know, prospering, I guess, from the business. And I think the business should give money as well over and above. And I say that because if, if, you, like, like if you look at where we are right now, quick history lesson that you've probably noticed and everybody else on the call, over the last 15 to 20 years, the unity in the church has been much, much stronger, okay? So if you look, and I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole, there would be some denominations that couldn't care less about unity, and there'd be some people in that camp. So, so that may not be your experience, but it is the macro perspective of the church coming together more than they have for probably 200 years. So because the church has come together, the enemy is really scared, which is why the left have become really extreme. This, this is the spiritual battle that we're in, right? Because, because, of the, because the church actually rising up, now we've got the occult rising up as a socialist left whatever agenda to try and take out and shut down the church. The, the good news for us is that that battle, um, a house divided cannot stand, is the one that we see playing out right now. The good news about a house divided cannot stand is that we win, and if you want evidence, read Revelation. So right now, with, with this trend that's coming and we're shut, trying to shut down world economies, the natural reaction for people is to withhold. Right, withhold our giving, withhold our whatever, you know, and we justify it. Well, the church doesn't need anything at the moment because it's all online, blah, 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 blah. But actually, now is the time that our giving should increase because we want to punch the spirit of mammon in the mouth. And this and, and the number one way to do that is to show that you're not selfish and you're not going to keep it all for yourself and actually give it away. So so I'm looking so in this time, as an act of spiritual warfare against the spirit of mammon, I'd be saying you should be looking for more opportunities to give. That's everybody. And so to answer the question, you should be giving it out of your personal and you should be giving it out of the business. And it should be way over and above, we know, the, the, the 10%. All right. What profit ratio, percentage of turnover, do you aim for net of GST and tax? 20% question mark. Uh, well, you're asking me what I aim for. My net is typically 50 55 to 58% a year. It, knowing your business, Virginia, 20% would be a phenomenal year. So uh, remember, I don't have cost of goods because it's a service-based business. 
but you do, which is why yours would be lower. Um, and so it, typically a trades-based business, your typical, like if you were to go run of the mill and ask 100 businesses, most of them would be sitting in that 10 to 12% net profit a year. Uh, a good, uh, you know, a good business would be 15 and a great business would be 20. So that's definitely where I would be aiming for. How do you identify your best, most productive employees, especially remote? <clears throat> PD, you just got to have a criteria. Like you've got to be able to measure productivity for each individual person, whether that's a mathematical equation, whether that's a series of KPIs, key performance indicators that they report. Like remote is even easier because you can actually say to your staff, hey, every single Friday, fill in this little table of results or activities and email them through. It's the last thing you do. That's how you get paid. You do your work all week, you email that in, and then we pay you, right? And in that, you can actually see how many calls did they make, how many hours did they bill, how many widgets did they make. Like, you, you need to be able <clears throat> to just have a criteria, right, of how do you measure that individual role, and then regular reporting lets you know that they're either hitting your targets or they're not. And then you can see well, that's how you identify whether they're being productive. But you've got to quantify what productive is for every role down to maybe three or four bits of criteria. And then they report those bits of criteria to you as frequently as you need them. And then you can see really clearly. Best way to market a landscape photography business that sells high quality framed prints website and e-commerce already in place. Best way to market a landscape photography business that sells high quality framed prints. You've got a website and e-commerce already. What would I do? I would be jumping straight onto Instagram and showcasing my work with, I mean, hashtags are still a thing. So go work out what hashtags your prospective clients would be looking at and then go and put your stuff in front of them. My other thought is get offline. Like I would probably go straight to strategic alliances. Who has already got my client is a question you should ask yourself. Who's already who is already working with my client, my ideal client? Who's working with them in some capacity? Obviously, you don't. The mistake most people make is they think about photography or whatever. No, no. Who is dealing with my client in any capacity? And then I just start ringing those companies and say, let's find a way to do some business together. I'll refer my clients to you. You refer your clients to me. If you could come up with five or six different businesses that all deal with that one client, you could actually put together a bit of a package and go. And every single one of those six goes to their clients, bringing their clients to the table for all six to come and do business with. And then obviously you have six times as many people that you could potentially farm from. So... I would go offline, work out who already has got the customer, go and link arms with businesses to, to, go and, you know, to go and work together. How can I navigate my coaching programs and ads when I have two coaching arms, book writing and life coaching? They're so linked, EJ, that I think you could fully get away with it. Like, um, you know, once the attention is on you as a person, and, and obviously that's the beauty of 2021 is that we can build a personal brand. Once the attention is on you, then you can send people wherever you want them to go, right? So, what, you know, so basically you pitch yourself as the authority in the coaching slash writing space, which is totally okay. And then when people come to you, you're like, you know, where do you need help? Coaching, great. Where do you need help? I want to write a book, great. Like, like 
the mistake most people make is they're like, oh, I need two brands and two websites. No, 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 no. You need one person that gets the attention and then they go from there. Like, like McDonald's, right, have got more than one burger. So, but you go to McDonald's and then you see what's available and you choose the one you want. It'll be a little bit the same with you. Like, because there's so much crossover. The kind of person that wants to improve their life probably wants to write a book at some point. Right, so so they're like, I kind of see that life coaching and book writing coaching are just they're going to need both. They just may start in different points. Some start life coaching with you and then they write a book. Some write a book with you and then they do life coaching with you. So I wouldn't see them as different. I would see them as EJ's superpower to be able to go and help people in that way. And I think you'll find that your customers are not as confused by it as you are. If it was I do book writing coaching and I sell tractors, then we would actually have to think through some messaging to link those things through. But, but given the fact that they're so close, I just think we just pitch you as the authority and it doesn't matter. You can just push people to whichever program you want to do next. We're in an industry where the hourly rate we charge is set at 45 bucks an hour and, and to get good contractors, we pay 35 We've now set fixed prices for our services and fixed prices for our contractors. <coughs> Should we look at payee and start to change from contractors to staff? My default answer for that question is always yes, because they're going to cost you a little bit more, or sorry, a little bit less, and you're going to make a little bit more. Obviously, pretty skinny margins when you're talking about 10 bucks an hour. You know, if you can get 1,000 people working for you, then it's okay, but... Um, there's not a huge room for error when they make a mistake. So yes, I would say go to employee, but do it when, like you don't have to do everybody, right? So if you've got contractors, let's say you've got five of them, you might start one as an employee because there's definitely enough work to fill up one employee or two or three, right? And then keep a couple of contractors on the side and then, and then you know, then do a ton of marketing, do a huge amount of awareness, put on a heap of new clients, Go to those five now and say, right, you need to be an employee or find an employee and swap out a, swap out a tradie. Like, I think the, an the answer for me is yes because you you'll get two major things from going to employees. They'll be cheaper for, per hour and it might only be, it, let's say it's only, I mean, even if it was only two bucks an hour, it's probably more than that. If it was two bucks an hour less for you to get a staff member, you've actually increased your margin 20%. So, so it's a, it's a little, little hinge, but it swings a big door. The second thing you'll get from having employees over contractors is loyalty because they've just chosen to work with you and they're not chasing the next job that gives them a little bit more money. So I think for those two reasons, I'd definitely be, definitely be into it. I'm wanting to move from employing one person from casual to permanent part-time, however concerned about how to meet the sick pay annual leave, etc., I have 10 other casual staff. Long term, I'd like to move them all to permanent part-time. Concerned about how to cover shifts when they are sick and having to now find a person to cover and pay two people for their shift instead of one. Any advice? It's a similar answer to the one before. It's, it's a good idea regardless. Um, I don't know the exact amounts within the award, but the way it's meant to work is that you actually pay them a little bit less per hour to be permanent part-time rather than casual, and the difference is the sick pay and the holiday pay. So if you put them on permanent part-time, it should end up being the same hourly rate. 
Um, and, you know, that's the reason why casuals get that little bit extra is it's because they don't get paid it. So I, I think it should work out. Um, however, here's the way I, here's the way I tackle I tackle that kind of problem at a macro level, not a micro level. So if I was dealing with that issue, I'd be like, I need to make that small nuance go away. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to put my prices up. I'm going to service more people. I'm just going to blow up the business, get 15 more customers. Like, like I try and solve those problems at the big end of town rather than trying to pull tiny little levers around the issue. Uh, and I just find that in that case, it, it most often goes away. Like, like you, like you can fix this problem with more cash flow, and so that's where I go to rather than trying to fix this problem with some, you know, position description or or something like that. that that's just the way I go and, and have a crack at it. Uh, how do I internalize the promises of God for me and my business, which I believe is my assignment? For example, Philippians four nineteen says, "I can do all things through Christ." How can I best frame this promise to me and my business without pride, without the knowledge of what God really wants? Um, how do I internalize the promises of God for me and my business, which I believe is my assignment? How can I best frame this promise to me and my business without pride, without the knowledge of what God says? So, um. <laughs> The, the only answer that I can come up with is, is you need to spend more time asking him uh, to show you clear pictures and words and, and thoughts around the promises so that you can meditate on them enough that they become eternal, internal enough that you've internalized them. You know, like, like, like I can do all things through Christ is like I see a lot of people using, I mean, I use that as a bit of a cliche term because I see people chanting those things in the mirror, not assuming you do, but I see people that chant those things in the mirror to puff themselves up and then turn around to do absolutely nothing with their life. And I'm like, hang on a minute, you, you know, you, you, you should throw yourself in the ring, right? You know, and, and get yourself, you should get yourself to the point where the only thing you've got is God. And then you will actually see that you, you can do all things through Christ. Like, 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 like people that like, like say, I'm, you know, whatever, as bold as a lion or, you know, like they've got these statements and then they go back to this comfortable life where they never need one. It's like the amount of people that go up on a Sunday and start singing Waymaker and no longer slaves and, you know, like break every chain and then go back to a comfortable life where they never need a Waymaker and they never need a God to break a chain. It doesn't make sense. So coming back to your question, I'm like, what if you actually just spent more time with the Lord saying, show me your promises and show me exactly what it looks like. And I'm not going to leave hanging out with you until you do. Get a real picture for it. You will internalize, you will internalize your time with the Lord 50 times more than you will internalize reading a scripture over and over and over and over and over and over again. All right. So that's how I would tackle it. Because once it gets inside of you, once you get a clear vision and a clear picture in the word and God shows you a path forward, your assignment, like it doesn't matter what you read, it just adds to it. Like you don't, you probably don't need any more. So that's how I'd get there. Could scaling a business that is just you, e.g. the kids entertainer, include selling online, e.g. downloads, events, courses? Yeah. And that's what I said by productizing. But I think you meant 
the performing for kids thing. So that's where it gets a little bit trickier. Uh, how do I find interns? Directly contact schools or is there a central place interns hang out? Is that place location specific? So just Google uh, intern providers in your area. There are companies that will provide interns for you. Uh, and then of course, yeah, just go to the local uni or the local school and say, can I have all your dysfunctional children because they're gonna be better anyway. Uh, we are losing about 40K a month. 66% of our expenses payroll, all on JobKeeper. I'm struggling with making a decision post JobKeeper to keep everybody on, treat them as a family versus redundancies and cutting expenses to return to profitability. No sign of recovery as yet. Any thoughts and a Bible reference to read? So, um, here's, here's my, my thinking is I forget those facts just for a minute. Right? And I go to, is there anything else you're not doing? Can we tackle this by looking at another department in the business? So it, it hasn't recovered and there's no sign of recovery. Is that bit a controllable? Right? Is that bit a controllable? I go, can I put my attention to recovery more than I have been? Meaning... Should I, should I put twice as much money in my marketing? Should I stop some activity and get somebody to sit on the phone flat out, make it 100 phone calls a day to new prospects to try and get work, right? You know, can I, can I ring another business and say, hey, we'll white label at a cheaper rate? Well, like, like, can I fix the front end of the business in the recovery by just putting so much attention towards, you know, like banging down doors and getting business? If the answer is yes, then, then I wouldn't go making the crazy decision of cutting your team. I would keep them because, because you're going to want to do that work at the front end of the business anyway. And if you've then got to go and replace your staff, then, then, then that's another challenge. So I go to, can you just like bang, bang, bang? Can, can, you, can you do the recovery yourself rather than possibly wait for it? Can you double down and do a whole lot more? If you're like, yeah, we could do that. I'm like, keep your team until that works. And now, now financially it's probably okay. If you said to me, no, our hands are tied, there's absolutely nothing we can do on the front of the business to scale it, then I would say start getting rid of your team. Like, you, you know, I don't know how many people are on the team, but let's say it's 20, I'll just pick a figure. If you have to move 10 on to keep 10, I think that that's just what leadership is from time to time. Sometimes you've got to look after the nucleus and there's fallout outside of that. And, uh, and that's okay too. Like you've obviously tried incredibly hard to fight to the bitter end. There's only so much you can possibly do when it was, this, was, this was out of your control. If, it, you know, if this is purely a, a coronavirus lockdown issue, it's purely out of your control. You never intended to do it this way. You can look them in the eye and be honest with them and then you can just say catch you later, redundancy or whatever you want to do. But you know, the cool thing is, is that in the New Testament, you can fire someone and still go to heaven. It's now permissible. So I would say to you that just, Maybe you just need to be bold. If you can't fix the business at the front end, start letting people go. And don't leave it too late. The government will pick up the slack for them. What's the biggest mistake people make when transitioning from one CEO to another, especially when the new CEO is in-house promotion? And how can I avoid that? The biggest mistake, in fact, it's the, the, my answer is not even the CEO specifically. When a business promote somebody internal to the leadership team, the biggest issue that that person has 
is that their loyalty is divided. I was one of the guys or I was one of the girls and now I'm actually fighting on behalf of corporate. Can they, can they change their leadership hat from one of the people to I am now the leader of those people? A lot of people can't make that change. They want the money or the promotion of, of that, but then they're still trying to be friendly and, uh, and, and that's a recipe for disaster because you, you, know, you end up just being a middleman between crushing pressure from above and crushing pressure from below because you can't keep everybody happy. Be the CEO and, and play that role. So that, that's the biggest mistake people make when transitioning from one CEO to another uh, is that you know, with an in-house hire, it gets, it gets really, really ugly. There's problems with doing it, you know, someone hiring someone from outside too, but, but that wasn't the question that you asked. So that's how I'd be avoiding that. I'd just be making sure that that person knows that their identity needs to shift. You're now no longer that. You're now this, and this needs to look and feel like this, and this is the deliverables of this, and this is what you're going to be up against, and how are you going to handle that? And when you, when the team try and pull you back down to them, what are you, how are you going to handle it? Like, like have those conversations, and then at least you've got some forethought going into it. Uh, if we're setting up a cafe business, what are the prerequisites for positioning, physical location of the business? If we're setting up a cafe business, what are the prerequisites for positioning, positioning of the business? Um. I think that you, you need to consider what type of cafe it is. If you're building something that is a destination cafe, meaning that there are more reasons to go there than coffee, food, and hanging out with people. Like the environment's good, you know, it's, you know, it, 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 it's got, the, got the, the best produce from the south side of, you know, whatever, like, like if you've got a destination cafe that no other cafes are around, but but for some reason it's got this like amazing fireplace or it's you know it, you know it, whatever it, it like it, if it's got something about it that would draw people, then of course your physical location doesn't need to be where foot traffic is, because obviously when you decide to go where foot traffic is, you pay a whole bunch more right? That's typically how it works. And when you pay a whole bunch more for foot traffic, the difference between paying a normal rent and paying for foot traffic rent is actually your marketing budget, right? Because you're just paying to have instant foot traffic. So if it's a run-of-the-mill cafe that doesn't have anything about it that is insanely unique, then you're going to have to put it on foot traffic to get it to work. If you want to build out something that's insanely unique that people want to visit because they just want to be there, regardless of the coffee you serve, then of course you can be further away and you, 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 can, you don't have to pay the premium of foot traffic. So, you know, I'm thinking specifically about one of the most successful cafes on the Gold Coast uh, of all time was one that's called Paddock, P-A-D-D-O-C-K. There's nothing around there, like nothing apart from 5,000 people that are in that place every six months. Kind of in the middle of nowhere and no foot traffic and it's half a business section and it's strange. So go do some research on paddock. But but because of the food, because of the vibe, because of the environment, people flock to it. Now they could have gone, they could have gone four kilometers up the road into a Stockland shopping center and probably paid twice as much rent and they would have got foot traffic, but different business. 
How do we get more buy-in from our employees to the company and vision so that they want to push the company forward with us? Yeah, it's actually a really tough conversation because I, 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 I kind of want to advocate for the employee as well and say that they're never going to get the buy-in that you want them to or, or the same level as you. You know, like the only way you can expect your team to ever have the same level of buy-in, which is not what you ask, but the way that you get your team to have the same level of buy-in as you've got is give them the same amount of shares that you've got to make it equal, then they've got the same vested interest. Um, the thing that I would do is, yeah, you said there, like casting vision consistently, a vision that's bigger than just we're here for a job, obviously. And if it were me, the way I would get buy-in is I would find out what each individual likes because not everybody's the same. And then I would find a way of tying that as a brightness of future, right? For buying into the business and achieving some new goals. So you might you might find this person just wants some money, this person loves footy, this person loves the ballet. Like you could probably have a meeting with them all, find out what they like, and say, right, I'm prepared to put two thousand dollars up for grabs. I'm gonna proportion it amongst the team this way, kind of equally, so it's fair. And I'm gonna go back and say to the team, hey, if we chase this bad boy down, it'll be good for these reasons. We're gonna have a great time. We're gonna we're gonna enjoy our work, but I'm gonna reward you with these things. And then you find that they that they'll probably get some buy-in. But you can't just do a standard one anymore because everybody's motivated by different things. And so so kind of just do a bit of research, finding out what makes each of them tick, and then you'll you'll probably get probably get some answers. Thank you for this week. I'm a sole trader, healthcare professional. I found something you've said uh, a little hard to apply to myself. Do you have any specific advice for sole traders? I struggle with marketing most. Yeah, Rachel, maybe ask a more specific question. Like, you struggle with online marketing? Like, uh, uh, because, I mean, I've obviously taught... uh, I I would say probably 50 to 60% of what I said would be size business agnostic um and so sole trader is the most sole trader is actually the most in my opinion the most exciting stage because and actually the less risky to some degree because you can pivot on the spot you can be going here and go here in one hour right big business doesn't have that luxury so so you so if you were to ask me ask a follow-on question if you want you struggle with marketing most Elaborate on that and I'll give you my two cents. But just put a question below if you want. How do you freely give from business when profit is tied up with different shareholders? Well, it's it's after you've paid shareholders that you would probably give, um, depending on what relationship you've got and what expectations there are. Um, so if it were me, right, if it were me, I would probably say to my shareholders, so if you make a $100,000 profit after tax, right? So you've paid out all your taxes, you've got $100,000 in profit, uh, and there were four parties and they had 25% each. Well, you wouldn't give everybody 25 grand each. You, would, you should really only pay out, you should really only pay out 50% of your profit to shareholders. The other 50% stays in the business as retained earnings to grow their business in the future. So you could pay out of the retained earnings. 
right? Rather than, because if you divide out all your profit, you've got no working capital to grow. So you should only pay out up to 50% of your profit in dividends to shareholders. And then with the other 50%, you could do some giving that way. Alternatively, what you could say is you could say, after we've paid our taxes, we're going to give a portion of the, the profits away, a percentage already set. We're going to give that and then we're gonna pay a dividend afterwards. So you, that's why I mean it depends on the relationship that you've got. Um, but um, remember, you're only accountable for you. So if you give out of your shareholding or your dividend, then, then that's okay. You, you know, if, if there is no relationship in place and they're free to do whatever they want because of the way you've set it up, well, I don't know that you can, apart from leading them and casting the vision, there's probably not a whole bunch you could do. You're just accountable for you. Any Instagram ad formats you can suggest? Not many people looking on IGTV yet. How do you get them there? Focus on more pics, etc. The way you get people to IGTV is start putting some really good content on IGTV. They'll find it. They'll find it if, it, if, if it's good enough and engaging and they, and they want to be around it, then, then they will go there and they'll go there tell their friends. Um, you know, of course, for me, I always use another platform to build a platform, right? So... I mentioned Clubhouse the other morning on here, and then some of you were like, oh, I've already got that, I'll go follow Wes. So it's, it's using a platform to build a platform. So maybe you go to Facebook and say, hey, I'm putting this content out on my IG TV, come over and watch it. So that way you can basically drive an instant audience across to where you're putting it, right? That's, that's how I would, I would look at it. Thanks so much, thanks Wes. With the combination of business products I am offering, should I market each business individually or combined? Branding, social posting, etc. Um, your branding, your branding can be different. A hundred percent, your branding could be different. Like you go to Bunnings, but you, when you walk into Bunnings, you've got you know a thousand brands under that roof. So. So you, you, you don't have to tie in every product and service with, with the main brand. You can, like, like, like having a branded house versus a house of brands is a really powerful strategy, right? Um, you know, like, like for us, we've got Greenhouse Coaching uh, and launched Greenhouse Media, and then we'll launch Greenhouse Accounting and Greenhouse HR and Greenhouse Capital. So we will do a branded house. But you don't have to. You can have Rowan and his business and then all these subsequent brands that sit underneath, right? That's, it's, um, you know, if, if you look at Amazon, Amazon have got so many brands that don't reference Amazon uh, or Prime or anything like that. So you, you can do it either way. Um, should I, but the other question was, should I market the business individually or combined? I would market the ethos combined because in each of your brands, they're normally contributing to a bigger reason, all right? So let me give you an example. The reason why I'm gonna, going from greenhouse coaching to greenhouse media to green, is because I'm realizing that most business owners go to five different providers for those services, and those providers all point the finger at each other, and the business owner never gets great results. So I'm thinking if I bring it all in-house, and we're accountable across a group to deliver for the client, there's no pointing fingers. It's up to us to perform. And so that ethos can be marketed, right? That can be marketed, your version of that, as combined, you know, kind of messaging for the marketplace. Having said that, underneath that, 
I would be marketing like, hey, we've got an intake for coaching, come over here. Hey, if you've got a website and it sucks and you want to want us to build a phenomenal system, come over here. Hey, if you've got this, come over here. So I think I would be combining the ethos but marketing the products and services independently and then they can have their own brand, different colors, different feel because once you've got the attention, like I said earlier, and people are falling in love with your ethos, then you just put people where you want them to go. Great sessions, thank you. If you had an expert as a guest speaker in an online course, how would you handle paying them? An hourly rate, how much? Or highlighting their services books or percentage of sales, etc. Um, so I don't have a huge amount of experience with this. What we I normally get most of my speakers to come for free. Uh, in, you know, and, and then in exchange, of course, they do get a whole bunch of promotion and awareness. But there have been times where I have literally just said to somebody, hey, I'd like to put you in front of my audience. What's your fee? And they'll say, you know, whatever, 1500 bucks, two grand, three grand, four grand. And I'll be like, I'll just weigh it up. Yeah, it sounds good. Let's go. And, uh, and so I just pay them. Um, anybody that can bring value, okay, so if they're just starting in their journey, then maybe they're happily being paid an hourly rate because they're like, well, I get 42 bucks in my job. So if I get 150 bucks with you, I'm pumped. Like there'd be those people that are really early in the journey. Then those people that bring value for a living will learn how to not do that. And they'll be like, no, I'm a thousand bucks for an hour or something like that. So, so, so how would I do it? My preferred method of the ones that you've said would be highlighting their services because that's free. This, my second preference would be a percentage of sales. And then my third one would just be paying what they're asking for. Um, but uh, everybody's going to be different in their expectations. You're welcome, Josh. Uh, following yesterday's session, I've interviewed some potential VAs through Upwork. Is three to six months a good time frame to get started with the right person or less? Way less. If you get started in three to six hours and vet them in three to six weeks. We are doing around four million a year in turnover. What's one thing you see I need to change in me to go to six mil or so? Well, I don't know that I can see a change that needs to happen in you, Luke. However, um, the one that I would say would be the same for nearly everybody is if you were to do an audit of everything you do in a day for a week, right? So literally a time in motion study, do a, like, like I did this email, this call, this here, went here, spoke to this person. Did this. If you were to have the discipline to roll out one whole week of what you did in five-minute blocks, you would see that there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's absolutely pointless, low-value task, and you can pay somebody 30 bucks an hour to do those things. I would take the lowest value 20% of those tasks. I would employ somebody or give somebody more hours to do those jobs. Might cost you 50 grand a year, right, to employ somebody in, which at four mil you can manage. And then you've got 20% more time to chase scaling the business, right? Strategic alliances, ventures, employ like, like, like the big stuff that you're not getting to, and you'll go from four to six million in one year, right? So, but you, th there's only so much you can do, and we should, every single one of us on this call should be cutting out the bottom 20% consistently of stuff that we do that's low value, finding somebody else to do it, and you, we deploy that 20% into high value tasks, right? That'll get you to six mil in a year. 
What are the most important things I should be thinking about? Let me just see how many there are. All right, no more questions, guys, because we're well over, and I want to make sure I get through all the people that put it in here. What are the most important things I should be thinking about getting clarity on when I employ my first staff member? I will be offloading work that I normally do to begin with. Some of it I think I'll work out as I go. Creating a job description up front feels like it will be a challenge. Yeah, well, it'll be a challenge, but you've still got to have one. Uh, there's three documents you need when you start a new employee, right? You need, uh, well, you need a job description, okay? You need a letter of offer, but let's just, that's a pretty basic one. You need a job description, you need key performance indicators, and you need um, uh, an induction process, right? And the induction process is simple. It's three sheets of paper. And, and page one says, this is what you need to learn by the end of day one. Page two says, this is what you need to learn by the end of week one. And page three says, this is what you need to learn by the end of month one. And it's basically a training progress. All the tasks are listed. At the end of every day, like a task, they, they tick it, you both sign it, you get a copy, right? So they've been inducted well. But you still got to cover position description, even if you communicate that this position description will grow over time, okay? You, you, what you can't do is you can't be like, oh, we'll just work it out later. Because the culture of that employee is like, this place is unorganized and rubbish. I'm never going to work hard here. You've, you've still got to go through the discipline of having one, even if you say, hey, we're gonna, we've got a baseline of position description and we're going to improve it over the first 90 days and then we're going to finalize it. You can do that too, but you can't not have one. Um, so you've, you have answered your own, your own question. What are the most important things to think about and get clarity on when employing my first staff member? You've got to be able to measure them, right? Like, like a staff member is employed to move the needle for the business. That's it. They've got one goal to help me move the needle, right? To help me go to my vision. That's it. How, like, what does that role need to contribute to the business to help me on the journey of moving the needle? Then you need to be able to quantify that into measurable, pass, fail, yes, no metrics. And when you can get those down, which may take you an hour or two to come up with them, when you get them down, you can say to them, hey, this is all you have to do. You achieve these KPIs, and then you'll know and I'll know that you're being successful in the role, and then everybody's happy. It takes a little bit of time to get there. Morning, Wes. I've recently started my own business. What gems of advice do you have with trying to focus on critical business tasks to increase momentum? FYI, my business provides engineering model data. What advice do you have with trying to focus on critical business tasks to increase momentum? Well, uh, a little bit broad, but for me, because I know that money fixes 99% of problems in a business, I would be putting as much of my time and energy I can into the front end of the business, right? Branding, sales, marketing, messaging, social media content. I'd be putting like phone calls, getting in work, you know, like, like that's where I'd be putting my time because then once the revenue's in, then I can fix the, you know, the team and the equipment and the stuff I need, the office and all of that behind it. So, so what gems of advice would you have trying to focus on critical business tasks? Go to the very front end of the business and put 90% of your time there, which is not what most people do. Most people put their time on, I've got to get my filing cabinet right. I've got to make sure I've got an account with Officeworks, right? I've got to make sure that my desk is built and I put the screw in wrong, so I'm going to take four more hours to take it out and put it back in again. Like that, I, 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 for me, I'm like, I don't even need a desk, right? I need a customer. So I just fully push to the front end of the business, knowing that when the customers come in, now I'll be like, okay, I need a desk right? But now I can afford to pay somebody to build it for me and get it right. So 
So that's where I would put, which, which for an engineer, not knowing what model engineer and model data is, for an engineer, right, who's a left brain person to the extreme, that could be a challenge to you. So I'm saying that's where you should put your time. We are a startup cleaning solution and sanitizer producing and marketing. Awesome. Thanks, Mariana, for the information. When does the next round of coaching open? Uh, I've been following for the past year, and I was not in a position to join the coaching intake late 2020. Good question, Phil. Um, we will do an intake in March. Right, that'll be our next coaching intake. Um, we're actually going to do things a little bit differently this year. I, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm on a mission this year to help as many people as I possibly can and to scale my influence and not even charge and, and just try and be a resource in the recovery year after last year, hence this program. Um, even people that have been through my program beforehand, I've got an offering for them. They may have done my year one program and then sat on the sidelines for a year or two. I've got the most insane program for those people. That you have to have been through the year one to join the year two, but people that have kind of sat on the sidelines, I've got an insane offer for them. If you've never done anything with us, then come March, you'll hear about an opportunity to do something with us. I'm still limited to what I can take in our paid programs because I'm still one person with a ragamuffin team trying to help as many people. But, um, but uh, that'll be, to answer your question, it'll be March and it's going to be a huge year. Uh, I contracted a company to advertise my business on Google AdWords. Google got upset at something as suspended my account. Facebook followed shortly. Facebook are talking to me and we can sort it out, but Google aren't responding. Have you faced these challenges? I have not had that. Um, you should be able to work out what word it was or what it was that triggered the breach of their guidelines. You know, I'm, I have had this experience a little bit with somebody who sells keto products and like he's always getting shut down and, and it's hard to get any rhyme or reason why. But we do know that that's just a topic that the platforms are restricting around because there's a lot of charlatans. So I, I don't know if you've tried this, but an account is an account. So for me, I would be grabbing all the pixels uh, off the website, deleting them, doing a clean of the website starting new accounts, loading the pixels, and starting again. Yes, you'll lose some of your data, but it means that you can keep running. So um, the other thing about Google is they're easier to contact. So in your Google Ads account, in the top right-hand corner, there's a question mark. You hit it, you type in what you want, you say chat, and you talk to them three minutes into an online chat, and they'll say to you, what's your phone number? Can we call you? Yeah, there's my phone number, and you get them on the phone. Right? That, like Google are way better at talking to you so here's an interesting thought. Here's something you didn't say. When you contracted a company to do your Google Ads, did they do it in your account or did they do it in their account? You should never, ever, 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 ever sign up for a company doing your marketing when they do it inside their own account because you can never access the data, never get the learnings, and you don't even know if they're doing a good job. All right, so if it's in their account, then of course you can't contact them. But if it's in your account, you can reach out to them and be on chat within three minutes. Okay, cool. So I think we've got a follow-on part from Mariana's comment above. So uh, at the moment, we are still not decided whether online marketing and selling it via IGA, retail grocery shop. What would you suggest? Before we did not have enough products, now we do. 
I would always try and sell products myself as the retailer. When you're the manufacturer and the retailer, then you basically get money all the way through the system. If you want a wholesale to another company to sell, you may get some volume, but you lose the ability to control. So, uh, and obviously a ton of margin, like half of your margin goes to the wholesaler, if not a bit more. So for me, if I've got a product, and the world that we live in today is people all day long are just looking through stuff and then finding things they need and buying them. Like, like, like if you saw during 2020 how many people bought from a boutique retailer because they had an Instagram store, like, like ridiculous. So for me, if I've got the products, I would at least try and put my best foot forward and build some story and branding and social around the product to the consumer and take the margin. And if I can't get it to work, then I would punt it to a wholesaler. Thanks, Wes. I've enjoyed the short 20-minute segments each day, even though I've mostly watched the playback. Thanks for sending the recordings. You're welcome, Virginia. Sorry today was not 20 minutes. Um, all right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, all right, follow-on question. I struggle with knowing where to market, more specifically for the purpose of growing my business. I work out of a well-known clinic and I struggle to make myself known within that clinic as a sole entity. So should I work on building my brand online, use Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, and then directing them to the clinic to see me or separate myself from the clinic, for example, book patients myself online, but they still see me at the clinic? I want to leave the clinic and go out on my own. Well, you've answered your own question when I'm able to. Therefore, want to spend time and effort working towards this, but struggle the how-to. You never want the clinic to be the toll booth, right? When the clinic is the toll booth, the clinic has control. So use the clinic as a space that you rent and you see patients, but get the rest of it in your control. So literally, like within an hour, you can build a web page that has a, a Calendly booking thing where they can, like, like a patient can go and go, Yep, you know, you, there's a video on there that goes, hey, thanks for dropping by the site. This is the kind of work we do. We'd love to work with you. Very caring, very compassionate. If you want to see me, this is the address down below. You can click. They come over, they go Tuesday. Okay, there's an appointment here, here, and here. I'll take that one, fill it all in, emails you. You call them, come in. You do that, and then you are clinic agnostic. Take it to that clinic, take it to that clinic, take it to that clinic, or even better, employ four people, run four different clinics, same booking page, right? So... So how do you do it? Build out a web page, start putting out a ton of content. Like how you build your business is exactly the same as everybody else on the call. You've got to put your messaging, your problem solving, hints, tips, value out into through social media across the top seven platforms and then driving those people back to a booking page or, or other information. And then once you've done that, it's infinitely scalable, right? Because once you've built that model of, put out content and paid ads to your landing page to book an appointment. Whenever you want more, you just turn the tap on. Whenever you're full, you turn the tap off, right? That You are in control of that world. And if you do it, then you'll be unstoppable. What's the best way to get clarity on your weaknesses or blind spots in the business? Well, typically, just ask your wife if you've got one, Daniel. Uh, she'll let you know real quick uh, how that's going for you. That's usually how the Holy Spirit talks to me. Uh, outside of that, go and find somebody you can be accountable with who's not your friend. Let them into your world a little bit and then ask them the question. Say to them, I want you to be brutally honest. You know, what are my shortcomings? And, and if they're man enough or woman enough, they'll tell you. Thanks, Wes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, as a tradesman, how do you work out if you need to increase your hourly rate? 
Um, if you need to is your question. If, if you want to is not the question you asked. How do you work out if you need to increase your hourly rate? The way you work out if you need to increase your hourly rate is you get really good at your financials. All right, so you'll be looking at your profit and loss statements, your balance sheets, your cash flow forecasts, and you'll be looking at this and you'll be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not spending any money on dumb stuff and there's no money left over. There's got to be a problem here with the business. If there's a problem there, then, you know, as long as, as long as you haven't made any foolish mistakes, like everybody's got a brand new Hilux, you know, like as long as you're not wasting money in the business, it should just be maths. So if there's no money left over, right, uh, you know, as a, tr as a tradesperson, if you're paying staff, your wages are probably something like 40 to 45%, ideally a bit less, but that's probably where most people fit. If your wages are 40, 45% of turnover, uh, and then you've got to run vehicles and some software and blah, 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 uh, materials, like you can have a look at that. And at the bottom, if there's no profit or if there's a loss, you probably should put your hourly rate up. But having said that, the reason why we can't make that a blanket rule is because let's say that the market industry is 110 bucks and you need it to be 138, you've priced yourself out. So if you may actually not be able to put your prices up if you are higher than everybody else. Not if you want to scale. If you want to be boutique, you can probably just put your prices up and work with a few clients. But if you want to actually scale that business, you probably can't be the most expensive. Then you've got to work out how to cut some of the costs out or be more efficient. So, But to answer your question, uh, how do you work out when you need to increase the prices? When you're working really hard and not making any money. Thank you. Uh, where's the question? What's continuing? Yeah. Uh, yes, I want the insane offer you mentioned, Wes. Well, Rachel will be out to you real soon. Joshua says, can't wait for the insane deal. It's pretty insane. Uh, brilliant session, Wes. Multiple excellent practical advice and wisdom there. Thank you, Adrian. You're a big blessing. Neville says, thank you, Wes, for your input. And Rachel says, thank you. And we have arrived at the last question, and it took us 54 minutes. Well, bless you guys. Uh, that was good fun. Hopefully helpful to be able to get in there and answer some questions for you. I've certainly enjoyed hanging out with you each morning. If you could do one thing for me, if you could do one thing for me, would be to go out of your way for three to four minutes to take one of the emails that I've sent you and blast it out to some other friends that you've got in business, right? So find one of the emails of a video I've sent you over the last 12 months and just forward it to as many people in business as you know with a thing that says, hey, I find this valuable, would you? Or go onto one of my Facebook posts that you find valuable and tag as many friends as you can. I, if you could do anything for me in return, it would be that I want to meet your friends who I don't know yet, not because I want to sell them something, because I want to just keep investing. I'm going to be putting out content all year anyway. The more people I can touch, uh, then the, you know, the more I'm doing my assignment. That's all I would love in return from you. Give me some exposure to your friends in business. Guys, it's Sunday. I'm going to let you get back doing whatever you want to do. Hang with the family, go to the beach, go to church, whatever you're doing today. I hope you have a super blessed day. I'll come out with some more content in the near future and we'll get back together again. Love you.